Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. Today is Wednesday, June 17th. On the show with us today is Graham Barker. Graham is an infrastructure architect at an offshore bank. That sounds awesome. I want to hear more about that. You can catch his blog at virtualg.uk. He's also on Twitter at virtualg underscore UK. Welcome, Graham. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you on the show. Yeah, man. I am. Uh, I was excited to see your name on here. You have been a faithful listener from what I can tell. I think you've claimed uh, most of the listens. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think the stats may have dropped off recently, but I've uh, been keeping uh, tabs on the uh, the interesting ones for sure. So, yeah, up to date, That's pretty much. Awesome. Yeah, and I think I caught your quote saying that this is the number one tech podcast. Yep. Is that you? It is. Yep, definitely, definitely is. How could it not be? Yeah, no, oh, I, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, the well, I think the topics um, the topics that you cover are like the things that I enjoy listening to, right? And following myself, so it's uh, it's a natural top top one for me yeah so you're a space guy as well then yep anything space um evs that kind of thing i'm uh, i'm all over that stuff so it's great to have Thank a podcast you. that dedicates itself to like the tech aspects of those things very cool that's definitely what we gravitate to <laughs> all right well what are y'all seeing in the news what do you want to talk about oh man there are there are quite a few things out there i actually saw an interesting article this morning i don't i don't keep up with it too closely but um qualcomm actually announced uh, their new 6-series ship or a new 6-series Snapdragon processor. And usually I think I'd glaze right over that. Sorry for anybody who gets really excited about mobile chipset stuff. But the uh, the announcement basically says this is the beginning of um, a significant reduction in price for 5G mobile sets. So I, it looks like the cost of phones using this chipset uh, are, are going to be significantly lower than phones that we've seen to date. So it will help stuff like 5G go a lot more mainstream. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I was just going to say, I wonder what the percentage of the manufacturing cost is of these things, like how much of it is the actual chip? Because um, I imagine there's all sorts of the patents and things that need to be paid for yeah, as well. Yeah, I think there are, there are a ton of things. In I feel like um, what like iFixit or some of the teardown sites have gotten into some of the pricing and they try to sort of uh, opine on, on what it looks like, even with bulk pricing and stuff like that. But I was hoping those kinds of details would be in the article that I read. They weren't, but they did sort of highlight a number of different phones that had different chipsets. And the it, it was only talking about the specific you know processor they were using. So it's kind of hard to extrapolate that data. But there were some pretty wild swings in phones based on the, the chipset that they were using. And the implication from the article was that it was uh, significantly tied up in that. But it looked like hundreds of dollars in cost difference just for the chipset itself. So even if it's not massive, it's significant in and of itself, especially if you're trying to get into like the sub $1,000 phone range. If there's a $150 difference in a chipset cost, that's significant, right? Yeah, true. Right. And also, to be honest, any any cost reduction is a good thing anyway. So uh, yeah, yeah true. no matter how small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, especially if you're not giving up too much from a feature functionality perspective, right? Sure. Snappy enough to be not noticeable, yay. <laughs> but it, it doesn't have to be a Cray supercomputer either. And uh, I just tweeted this out. You can now buy, I don't know if y'all watch Black Mirror at all, 
um, which is funny because they had a new season that they delayed because it was too real and too accurate based on everything (laughs) going on in our world. I saw that they announced that. I've watched it before. I haven't. I haven't kept up, but that show it definitely knows how to paint the picture of a grim tech reality. Oh man! So I don't know if you saw the Metalhead episode, which was season four, episode five. Uh, it's an abandoned warehouse. Scavengers are searching for supplies. They encounter a ruthless foe and flee for their lives through a bleak wasteland. Well, that foe is this little robot called Metalhead, and uh, Boston Dynamics if you don't know, creates a bunch of really cool robots. Yeah, yeah. They have one they call Spot that looks just like it. <laughs> um, so it, it went on sale yesterday. It cost uh, $74,500, and it comes with all these add-ons, and I'm scanning the add-ons so you can see the battery, charger. Did you say $74,000? $74,500, yes. <laughs> That's correct. So That's totally cool. approachable. We're all gonna yeah, when I'm looking soon. for the machine gun add-ons, <laughs> right? That was, that was what was and like the ability for it to drop and throw mines and all kinds of stuff, oh, little grenades. Yeah, that's what oh, we need. Oh my god! <laughs> um, the robot wars are are upon us. Twenty four K for the core AI f- feature. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> serious money in that stuff. Yeah, not, yeah, not cheap. But it might be like the first iteration of what Tesla did, right? And anyone who gets yeah. one of those, let us know. Uh, yeah. Come on the show, talk about it. Sounds awesome. What was the name of, of Tesla's first, the Roadster? Yeah, the was Roadster. It's called the Roadster. Yeah. So Elon said, look, you know, we're going to charge a lot more than we need to for this first one, and you're going to help pay for the development of the future ones, and people were happy to do it. Uh, same sort of thing here, I imagine. Yeah, you've got to get yeah, that. We hope so. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe well, minus well. The, the whole militant <laughs> robot version side. Just right. a... Just Smart, approachable, interesting robots in my house. That actually sounds great. <laughs> I can't really tell you why, because it sounds terribly dangerous at the same time, given how things seem to work. But I they are pretty always cool. thought it would be cool to get whatever the, I mean, was, wasn't it AI, the, like the movie, right? Mm-hmm. That painted such a neat picture for um, artificial intelligence and, and cybernetics and um, just various other sort of robotic life forms that were very interesting. Um, I, I have a feeling we get there, especially with stuff like this, probably within our lifetime, which is cool and scary. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, well, absolutely. It'll be we'll have crazy stuff within our lifetime. The the rate of innovation's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, it really fast. is extraordinary. Yeah. So Graham. I want to kind of take a quick detour here and hear from you how your life has changed through all of this, right? I, I mean, I can take some guesses, but I know what we're doing uh, from a tech um, uh, manufacturing and sales perspective. Uh, but w- what are you doing in terms of being an architect at an offshore bank? How's your life changed through all this? I think the main thing, which is the same for most people, is the is the remote working. Um, mm-hmm. Not not just affecting me personally, but obviously making sure there's the system there to be able to cater for that load, um, which presents a lot of interesting challenges. So you're not, you're not just responsible for your kind of quality of remote life from work, but everybody else's as well. Um, so focusing really on improving that uh, the end user experience um, while everyone's going through this difficult time at, at the same time. 
Yeah, that's I, I've seen a huge emergence of that as well in my customer base for the customers that I've worked with over the years. Just uh, that customer experience focus shift a lot, and so did the uh, internal customer experience. So the employee experience um, a focus has definitely emerged there too, keeping people engaged, uh, making sure morale is as high as it can be under the circumstances, and everyone has access to the tools. I think a lot of a lot of folks focused on the let's make sure they can get the app they need but not as much on let's make sure that they can be as engaged and feel as they're part of the enterprise as, as we can. So it's actually kind of cool to hear you talk about it. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's yeah, very similar experience. Um, there's only so much you can do when you, you can't go into the office, you can't really go into the data center. Um, you know, it's so much you can do there, but um, yeah, we've made, I think we've made good progress and it's actually, you know, it's paved the way for a better future for everybody, a better work-life balance as well going forward. Oh, that's great. Um, because we now have this this ability to, um, you know, potentially work part-time from home certain days of the week across the business. We've A lot of things have gone paperless, which we were struggling with uh, doing before. Uh, so this kind of forced us to do that. So there's this pain period, but I think the, the future looks a lot better for a lot of, uh, a lot of the staff. That's cool. What do you, can you speak to some of the specifics, like how you think some of this will improve work-life balance? And and I ask coming from the kind of experience that I've been having in these days, which is even though I was part of a distributed or work from home workforce, uh, I actually saw like blocks on my calendar just get sucked up incredibly fast when everyone went work from home. And while it wasn't a huge stretch for me to have access to all the tools that I needed or continue to do my job, the likelihood that I would have a free moment to breathe or eat went to near zero for like the last yeah. three months. And so, uh, so it's two weeks it, have been really bad. <laughs> oh man. I, I don't know if I could tell you the difference. Honestly, really? I, it's been constant for me. It's just a well, it might be solid due to my block. job change. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that contributed to it too. Where I thought certain things were going to lighten up, uh, I just sort of doubled down with new new work stuff. But um, yeah. I, I, I mean, don't I, think I could yeah. tell you the difference. It's a random day when I have more than a single half hour block somewhere to just. <sighs> yeah, yeah. You've, you've, Is it the same for you, Graham? I mean, are you on like nine hours of calls a day? Fortunately, not. No, um, I'm, I'm fairly new to the business, so I'm not as involved with a lot of the projects as I would otherwise have been. I guess. Uh, so mm. I've, I've got that uh, that going for me at least for now. Um, but I would say that some of the ideas that I've not come up with myself, so I can't I can't take credit for these. But in the community, there have been a few things, such as um, you know helping yourself do better. So looking after yourself in in ways that you wouldn't normally do when you're in the office, uh, such as you know maybe your department or your business or your organization can put a almost like a, um, a curfew or a block on meetings on mm. a particular time during the week mm. or a particular day. So at least you get a day or two of, of actual work uh, distraction. Because <laughs> um, yeah. we used to, you know, one of the policies that we have was, you know, if you've got an important task that has a deadline, work from home. But obviously that makes it worse now, right? So that doesn't really work anymore. That's really interesting. Yeah, that that and also just blocking out time in your calendar. You know, just um, just block just block something out. Will, will hopefully, yeah, it doesn't always work, but you can. If people use the scheduler and things in in the planner, then at least uh, you've got some chance of a free t- free period of time on certain uh, certain days. Yeah, I've definitely tried that. I've blocked off a you know a bit of a lunch hour to try to 
spend with my family and stuff like that. And I've, I've found, and I think this is part of the job transition and sort of doing a little of both is that, uh, it's been really hard to defend it the last couple of weeks, but I hope to get back to that where I can actually <laughs> walk away for a brief meal or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to kind of do what you can to help yourself at the end of the day. And, uh, if that requires a bit of a policy change in the business, then, you know, hopefully that's, that'll help. Yeah, that's cool. All right, good to get your take on that. Let's uh, let's jump through some more tech news hoops here. Uh, I need to call out one. So our buddy on the show, Chris Laffey, texted me last night and he said, "Hey, dude, CI cyber weapons breach breaking news now." So I looked it up. It looks like it it happened a few years ago, but there was a memo that just came out that said, "Hey, um, oops." And it it essentially comes down to the fact that the CIA said, quote, uh, well, let's see here. The report released Tuesday is heavily redacted, but clearly states that the breach came as a result of of a series of security shortcomings, quote, over years that too often prioritize creativity and collaboration at the expense of security. And there was nearly 80 terabytes of data stolen, which they equated to 2.2 billion pages of text uh yeah yeah that's that's scary and unfortunate right because the the cia you would expect as a state actor to have some pretty extraordinary funding obviously they have been recruiting and drawing talent to work on sort of next gen weapons and that sort of stuff for a long time not just weapons either i'm sure a lot of it is uh surveillance technology and those sorts of things just sort of imagining that being siphoned off over years is really unfortunate um in general, but also yeah. very pointedly unfortunate. Given pay attention climate. to security, we talk about yeah. it all the time yeah. on this show. Wow. Security, security, security. Uh, um, yeah, these anyway. these are going to be the new. Um, like you can you can almost uh, dismiss a, like a world war as they used to be, like a traditional war. But this is the kind of stuff that's going to be the war, isn't it? It's going to be the cyber attacks and yeah, the always. That's an interesting topic to kind of dive down to. Um, I, I'm curious what your thoughts and other people's thoughts are on on a future that looks like that, right? Where traditional war becomes less and less common, right? So thinking humans fighting humans with yeah. machines, well, which is happening right now. No, 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 sure. But <laughs> I mean, but China, shifting India, to and North the cyber and South space, Korea are actually getting into it. Like, are yeah. are the are the impacts of a cyber war at scale, whatever that means, right? Um, are, are they as devastating as, you know, physical wars that are being fought in war-torn areas? Are, are they as damning because of what it does to economic inequality, whether it increases or decreases it, right? I, I think there are a lot of uh, outputs from that kind of stuff. That are, are I mean, if that dynamic is really, really changing significantly, and fewer people are dying because of physical war, is it better that we moved in that direction, or is there something on the horizon that we're not considering that's absolutely terrifying about that? What the, I mean, I think the end state is the same. Um, when you have war like that, you're going to have one country that wants to abolish another country, and it's just going to be fought differently rather than trying to get a hundred thousand of your troops over to their border, right. To, to do a land grab, it's going to be something like, okay, so 
we are so heavily reliant on um, tech for communication and uh, you know our infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. In my mind, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to. Anyway, whatever. Imagine you, like th- you a, think uh, the end game is the same is what you're getting at. The end game so is the same. They, they'll yeah, yeah. So, they'll so, use so, cyber warfare mechanisms to make yeah to, massive to take down damage, power grids, yeah, all that kind okay. of stuff. Or yeah. I mean, there's there's even you know what what if what if somebody detonated a nuke 50 miles above your country? Oh, for sure. Well, that's going to deploy an EMP, uh, uh, an electromagnetic pulse that's going to take out everything you know, within, you know, a thousand mile radius on the ground directly below. Yeah. I, I guess, is, I guess if that's the end game, it's hard to disagree that they would both have similar outcomes, but most conventional wars don't end with nukes over populated cities or actual complete destruction of the grid and, and targeting non-military combatants. Right. I mean, that, that's a shift. That's a significant negative shift in my opinion. If, yeah, yeah. if the, if the cyber warfare leads to nukes above cities and targeting, you know, water supplies, then I, I feel like that's a step in the wrong direction by a sure. big, big way. Right. <laughs> or yeah. in a big way. Yeah. So, well, I guess that's I, what, what I'm saying. Is I don't at. see, I don't see droves of troops moving across terrain anymore. Yeah. W- yeah. Which makes sense. But then, then can the outcomes of a war actually be the same? If if you're not going to have droves of troops and you can't physically occupy a country, how do you, to use your words, abolish it? How do you how do you destroy it? And if you well, go to the end of- game you were discussing, where you physically destroy the country and its inhabitants, that that's a far cry from where we are at conventional war, at least on paper, yeah. on the surface, if you will. Right? I think yeah. terrible things happen, but. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances in there, and I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to say that's the type of war we're heading towards. I, 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 I a, just I hope you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, oh, me too, me too. Um, but yeah, the modern warfare is is smaller tactical, right? So there's yeah. there's a a person or a small group that a country wants to go after, right? Mm. And they um, insert very tactically, right? They go after a very specific way, and it's almost data driven as well. A lot of it's like expe- yes. finding trade secrets and getting some sort of leverage or benefits over to the yeah. country. Yeah. Well, see, and that, and that makes more sense to me. And that's kind of what I was originally posing the argument for, which is, are we better off uh, stealing each other's secrets and sort of um, Im- improperly forcing some equality from like a tech prog- progress perspective or, or those sorts of things by stealing that intellectual property versus having people die in a conventional war, right? Or do they ultimately lead to the same or a worse end state? Are we, are we going to see massive geopolitical shifts that all come from you know botnets and manipulating people through uh, social media that results in massive economic distraught civilizations? Right? I, I don't know. Like, is it is it worse? Is it better? Is it just different? <laughs> I'm kind of yeah. curious to see how it plays out. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, me, let me shift gears to something a little bit, a little bit maybe happier. Less more <laughs> Okay. So uh, I saw this article. There's a team from Duke University in the U.S. They created an algorithm capable of quote imagining realistic looking faces from blurry, unrecognizable mm. pictures of people with eight times more effectiveness than previous methods, which immediately took me to the movie scenes where, you know, some detective is looking at an image and somebody, yeah, enhance, enhance. (laughs) And you're like, okay, come on, come on, that's not real. (laughs) But so they were talking about this being used um, 
for you know anything from at, at a microscopic level to looking at uh, space, right? Looking yeah, that's at, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Now you can really put a man on the moon, take an old blurry kind of image and have an AI paint a face into it. Yeah, well, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious what y'all think. If if um, that is what we want, I'm just curious your take on it because it's a system that's imagining what it might look like rather yeah, than, I mean, I, the, the data's not there. I, I think there are two two issues I see with that. One is that seeing faces and things is maybe not uniquely human, but damn near uniquely human, right? We're programmed to think we see faces and stuff. There's a lot of cool research out there about it. And two, do you do you really want an algorithm imagining a face if the end goal is to identify a human being? Because there's there's just so much room for that being abused, right? Mm-hmm. That I. I could see that going much, much worse, faster than better, faster, right? I'm, I, I can't, the downside seemed to far outweigh what I can imagine that being good yeah. for. What if it imagined your face? Yeah, for <laughs> something nefarious, as an example. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. something similar enough, right? People in lineups. That's, we're bad at this. <laughs> yeah. No, what sure. you say, Graham? The technology is great, you know, that we can do this stuff with software. You know, that's just crazy how we can do these kinds of things but yeah the, the implications are sometimes a bit worrying and you think you know maybe we need a bit of regulation on this stuff um down the ai path for sure um you know it, this stuff gets in the wrong hands of people you never know what, what could uh, what could go yeah. wrong there but um yeah but the technology is very interesting and rapidly rapidly evolving so yeah there's going to be some for sure there's going to be some great benefits um but uh, yeah, we've got to be careful. Not sure how I'm yeah, curious. I'm did it I'm say okay in the, the article our, what it thought our, that was going to be useful for? Like, why why do we need an AI to take pictures of deep space and make faces out of it? Or or is it meant to be somewhat just like curious near art? Because it doesn't yeah. sound like it. Well, I, I think it's just um, just testing the capability of it doing it mm-hmm. right. Like the underwater Wi-Fi thing we talked about yesterday. We were like, what's the purpose here? What's the use case? And <laughs> I'm not sure we really know. I think it's just, can we do it? Yeah. yeah. And that's a good point. And it's, it's a good point to bring up in general, too, because I'm all for that stuff, right? Like, I, I will definitely poke at why something is being researched and, you know, hopefully the end game ends up being something that's beneficial. And I'm certainly not going to pretend like I can see where all of that research goes from a good, bad, or ugly perspective, right? But it is yeah. kind of fun to just say, really, what what made you think that was the thing you should pursue? Because sure. do we need nanoscopic faces? I, do we want them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, it goes on. It, it says uh, the images generated by the AI do not resemble real people. Instead, they are faces that look plausibly real. Yeah. Well, sure, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it therefore, yeah, it therefore cannot be used to identify people from low resolution images captured by security cameras. That's good. Yeah. Well, as, as long as as long as they keep saying that, but the problem is, as soon as it becomes a passable face, somebody's going to say I enhanced this, or they're not going to say that they enhanced it, and they're going to say, yeah. "Look, it's Steve," and then Steve right. is going to be caught <laughs> sipping his right. coffee, thinking, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the goal is so it's called the Pulse, the photo upsampling via latent space exploration system. Oh, fun uh, acronym, and it yeah, and it uh, creates images with sixty-four times the resolution than the original blurred picture. That's pretty uh, cool. 
so I wonder but if, yeah, if it's just reversing. for faces though I'm I'm again I'm I'm losing it but if it's upscaling images that have artifacts and stuff like that I could see it actually just being pretty awesome in general yeah, yeah. well I mean so astronomy satellite imagery um, microscopy um, it says medicine in general I don't know what that's supposed to mean <laughs> but, uh, but noisy okay. poor quality images of distant planets and solar systems could be imagined so in high resolution that so okay this, that makes a lot more sense then it's not about faces they're using that as an example because it's probably pretty approachable get a blurry image through a security camera repaint a face that's passably a human face that's neat right but if you're actually able to take blurry images of anything and take the face out of it and just make them better more clear more more visible then i can actually see a ton of use for that and if it's if it's actually a similar i guess you know machine learning training that goes into it or if the ai algorithmically can do similar things with images of non-faces and faces then yeah i can see tons of that I mean, think about going back through even old photographs especially digital but i would guess not restricted to that and being able to clean them up to make them more uh, either pleasing to view or better looking or, or I mean, you name it, right? So yeah. I, that's actually that's actually really interesting technology if that's the case. Well, I'm gonna let you shut it down here, Graham. You got anything else you want to plug or say real quick before Tyler shuts it down? I got to jump to another call, but it has been a pleasure to chat with you, sir. Welcome to the show. Yeah, likewise. Thanks very much. Uh, love the podcast, and uh, I'll uh, keep listening, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll have to have you back on. This ended up being a real short one, but it was fun chatting and getting your opinions on everything. And that, everyone, brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And as always, if you've got any news that we missed, general feedback, or you'd like to join us for a recording, hit us up on LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever you know us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And we will talk to you tomorrow.